0: on social media, Facebook, Instagram, we know that the pictures people post are highly curated. What seem to be casual snapshots have been meticulously planned, down to the background, the lighting, people's clothes. And this is especially true for travel photos. People spend all this money and time to take a trip, and they want to document the journey have something that can convey their experiences in places far from home. As it turns out, this is not a new phenomenon. For centuries, people have been creating images of their travels for all the world to see. And this was no less the case for European artists touring throughout the Ottoman lands who returned home and created a thriving new industry selling images of the East. This is the Ottoman History Podcast, and I'm Emily Newmeyer. Fraser is professor of art history at the University of South Florida. In this episode, we discuss her book, Mediterranean Encounters, Artists Between Europe and the Ottoman Empire, 1774 to 1839. We talk about how Western European artists at the turn of the 18th century began to create a new type of popular media, the illustrated travel volume. But these were not small guidebooks to tuck away in your pocket. They were large-scale luxury publications for the discerning armchair traveler. I think the
1: smallest of anything I've looked at in this book is what's called folio-sized,
0: which is a a very large book, um, but some of them are several feet by several feet. The enormous size and high production quality of these books in the accompanying images means that they were not the work of a single person, but rather a large team of artists.
1: Uh, I think it presents really interesting interpretive issues, particularly for the kinds of readings that had been done of representations of, let's say, the East or the Orient, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because of the question of authorship. You know, who, right. who is the author, really, even if Choiseul Gouffier is named as the author and claimed authorship, mm-hmm. who, who, who made these perspectives, who made these images, who, you know, who writes the text, because sometimes it's not Choiseul Gouffier. Well.
0: Reflecting on these questions of authenticity, Dr. Fraser explains how her research aims to take up a more nuanced view of the complexities of cross-cultural encounter.
1: So I began to try to think about travel as a kind of process uh, and a moment that has its own contingencies and, uh, you know, place specificity and the kind of encounters that one has, the the things that one can and cannot do in a place who determines those things and how that can affect, obviously, uh, an artistic process.
0: All this and more coming up. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. I'm
1: glad to be here with you.
0: We're thrilled. Your recent project, you're looking at travel images uh, done by artists moving between Europe and the Ottoman Empire from the late 18th to the early 19th century. When you say travel images, what is this body of material that you're looking at? What is the nature of of this material? Is it a painting on the wall? Is it, is it a book? Are they sketches? Mostly I'm looking at illustrated
1: books that have been produced. They are filled with prints. For the most part, most of the projects, the travel enterprises I'm looking at are produced books with three volumes, uh, almost always one, two, three volumes, uh, sometimes hundreds of prints per volume. Early on, we're looking at engravings mostly and the medium changes over time as we get into the early 19th century, lithography and other forms of engraving like steel engraving. And I think that plays a big role also in my discussion. I frame a lot of this uh, with discussions, uh, with comparisons of uh, sketches at times or paintings, but the mass of what I'm talking about is really illustrated travel books with prints in them. The big exception, of course, is the Delacroix chapter at the end, where I'm talking about his sketchbooks. So I'm looking at original watercolors by and large
0: mm-hmm. in that
1: case. Yeah.
0: So uh, most of these books, how big are they? Are they are are they th- uh, books you can put in your pocket? Are they large display books? That's an excellent question because it really,
1: I think, factors into how we have to consider them and really think about them as objects. Not only are they Multiple, So unlike looking at, uh, you know, a big easel painting in 19th century France, um, you know, we're looking at many, many images, but the size of them is mm-hmm. really stunning um, and very hard to convey in reproduction, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think the smallest of anything I've looked at in this book is what's called folio size, uh, which is a, a very large book. Um, but some of them are several feet by several feet in size, mm-hmm. um, really enormous books. Uh, the Melling book uh, that I discuss, for instance, can hardly be contained on a single table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's
0: so massive. So some of them are quite big. It's important to remember the scale of these of these books. How would they have generally been used? Who were who were where were they made? Where where were the majority of these books? published?
1: Well, the ones that I'm looking at are mostly produced in France. France had a huge uh, publishing industry, Mm -hmm. um, and this was a kind of boom period for uh, book illustration. Specifically, they had Gobs of engravers, really skilled engravers, who could do this kind of work. So most of them would have been produced in France, although there's always sort of counterfeit editions and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, they are luxury objects, mm. absolutely. They're extraordinarily expensive. They're very expensive to produce, which is why a lot of them never get completed and have these sort of disaster stories behind them, which are often quite um, amusing. They are uh, things that are produced in installments because it's so expensive for the artists to do it. So they'll produce sets of prints, maybe three, four, or even 10 at a time. And those will be bought then by um, someone who has subscribed usually to the whole thing. And so it might take, you know, in some cases... Uh, You know, it might be 11, 12, 14, 15, 20 years, certainly for three volumes to be produced. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as in the case of Choiseul Gouffier, uh, 1782 to 1824, that was three volumes. And all of that's being produced in installments over that entire period. So Mm -hmm. the production costs itself are extraordinary. Um, Just even the copper for the plates, uh, the paper itself is extraordinarily expensive for Mm -hmm. those who are producing these things. And so, of course, that translates into who who buys them, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, they become such established uh, publications that they are acquired then by libraries, and this is the period in which the public library comes into existence. Uh, So they become much more present uh, than simply the elite audience of bibliophiles, right, which Mm -hmm. is their first target audience. But after that, uh, it's People can see it in, in for free and see books for free in, in other places. Plus, there are knockoffs, there's repetitions, there are counterfeits, as I said, produced in various languages. Um, there are often octavo versions, which are smaller books with fewer illustrations, usually, that are produced for really famous pieces. So mm-hmm. there's lots of ways in which it kind of filters down to a much broader audience mm-hmm.
0: over time. Would you say this is a new genre uh, of... Literature in this time period, the late 18th century, or is there sort of a buildup uh, to these sort of display, mm-hmm. prestige uh, illustrated travel texts?
1: Yeah, no, it's that's a really good question. There, there's, there, they definitely pre-exist the late 18th century, um, you know we can talk about travel books really from the 16th century Mm -hmm. right so the age of exploration kind of thing um and illustrated travel books um some really famous examples in 17th century france for instance but they get uh they become more numerous in the later 18th century
0: Mm -hmm. and why is that
1: that's a question i'm not sure uh it's totally clear Mm -hmm. um uh there's a coming together of a lot of forces uh Mm -hmm. the, the fact of the availability of artists the fact that artists, in a lot of cases, I can think of my example of Cassas, who's trying really hard to make a name for himself, and he's kind of an underling. He's not a famous artist. He's not a an oil painter, and he can use this medium as a way of kind of pushing his name forward. Uh, particularly once uh, his patron is guille- not guillotine, but actually exiled. <laughs> uh, in his case, becomes an emigre. Uh, Another patron was guillotine, which is why I mentioned it. So uh, there were a lot of artists who were using it as a way of making a reputation. Um, Certainly by the early 19th century, it's a well-known way of kind of getting your work out mm-hmm. and having a lot more control over things, so that would be one, you know, one feature. Uh, a lot of exploratory travels happening. Of course, the endless fascination with the Ottomans mm-hmm. in Europe is another motor for this. Yeah, big motor.
0: And a lot of these, a lot of the case studies you're looking at in the book of illustrated travel volumes, uh, these uh, artists are have diplomatic connections too, right? And so they're. Tied in with these diplomatic networks, so that obviously plays into
1: geopolitics and uh, the availability, uh, the capacity to travel, to be asked to travel as an artist accompanying, uh, you know, a diplomatic tour, as in the case of Delacroix or Choiseul Gouffier, with whom I begin, who is uh, my first major travel enterprise, Um, and uh, he himself becomes the ambassador Mm -hmm. uh, to Istanbul. So certainly the fact that there's an infrastructure there and a relationship, um, an an embeddedness, Mm -hmm. uh, one could even say, in the Ottoman Empire uh, allows uh, some of the practical things to happen, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. A place to live, a a way to eat, uh, people who will translate things for you. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it has larger implications in terms of cultural understanding and, and cultural contact, right, because of these diplomatic relationships and the fact that they have this kind of uh, deep presence uh, in Istanbul specifically, but all over the Ottoman Empire.
0: So it strikes me that we these illustrative books, unlike, say, a painting on the wall, you know, which has one artist, it's the painter, and that's it. You know, Eugene Delacroix painted The Death of Sardanapalus. that's it. But with these illustrated books, um, who's really, uh, are the artists usually also the authors of the text that accompanies these images? Um, and you also mentioned a whole class of engravers. Um, like who, who are these sort of class of people hmm. that are involved in making these books?
1: Yeah, it's uh, tremendously complicated and really, really fascinating. And so it varies, uh, particularly in the early part of the period that I work on. Um, it's still very much dominated by you know, people of great wealth, and they are the people who organize the whole project. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first, uh, the first example is Choiseul Gouffier, who was an aristocrat who could afford all this, who also sold tons of property in order to do it, actually, mm-hmm. um, as well. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, very interesting archives uh, for him in that case. I'm sure his descendants
0: <laughs> were really thrilled
1: with that decision. Well, it was all his it was all his, his, his wife's family's money, too. Oh, okay. The, the, mar, the, mar, the Marquis de Gouffier. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so he organized it, but he paid researchers, he paid uh, many, many engravers over uh, those all those years. He paid artists to travel with him, he paid artists to travel without him. He paid people, uh, you know, the great example of Consul Fauvel, who lived in Athens, who collected objects, which mm-hmm. were then reproduced uh, for his book. Um, so tremendously complicated. What happens at a certain point is that there's a huge change in the um, publishing industry in France, a new law which allows people to retain the copyright of what they produce. And this helps uh, the engravers. It also helps uh, people who are called designers. And designers are those who make images from which the engravings are produced. Mm -hmm. And that uh, allows a whole a lot of artists to take more charge uh, of the enterprises of these uh, massive uh, travel enterprises and also sort of claim authorship mm-hmm. and claim also whatever proceeds come from, from them. So uh, then we have the case of Casas, the case of Melling, who uh, lives in Istanbul for 20 years, almost 20 years, and then comes, comes to France. He's not from France and produces uh, a travel book in his own name as mm. author, uh, even though he would have been sort of the manager and kind of the designer, but yeah. you know certainly not engravers. It was a very, very complicated and difficult uh, process and involved a lot of people.
0: And I think we get a sense of that um, in your book, uh Maybe we could look at an image from the first chapter, um, Choisel Gouffier. Uh Uh, Maybe we could see one of the images and just actually just look at your caption. Oh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting idea, yeah. Let's see. Just a view of a theater at Telmesus, and the the artist is Jean d'Ambrun after Jean-Baptiste Hilaire, and it's an engraving, plate 71, from Choisel Gouffier's book, Voyage, Picturesque de la Grèce. So Choiseau Gouffier is the author, yeah. uh, and then it's an engraving in this published book. And but what does it mean that Jean d'Ambrun after Jean Baptiste Hilaire? What what does that so, what does that language indicate? Tiliare
1: is the person who did the drawings in that case. And there's sometimes multiple engravers too, because there are different parts of the engraving that oh, are done really? by different people and things like that. Um, yeah. So and then there's the volume number and the plate number, and you know, so it gets it gets quite complex. But th- I, this is what I think is really fascinating about travel uh, books and travel enterprises, mm-hmm. and it really intrigued me, having come from working on since
0: you mentioned the Delacroix yeah, example, right? right? Uh, yeah, because you've worked previously on Delacroix extensively, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so that uh, was, it's been a departure for you working on these, these huge types of um, um,
1: images. In part because of printmaking and, you know, having to master all of that, but, the, you know, the book, Publishing industry is a whole other kind of kettle of fish. But also, uh, I think it presents really interesting interpretive issues, particularly for the kinds of readings that had been done of representations of, let's say, the East or the Orient, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because of the question of authorship. Um, you know, who, right. who is the author, really, even if Choiseul Gouffier is named as the author and claimed authorship, mm-hmm. who 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 made these perspectives, who made these images, who, you know, who writes the text, because sometimes it's not Choiseul Gouffier. Well,
0: right, yeah. Actually. It's really. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: so that kind of complication, uh, I think, really introduces some fascinating uh, questions of interpretation, and they struggle with it, uh, because uh, there's Right, because whose s-
0: representation is this? Yeah. Of, of the Ottoman of uh, the Ottoman lands who's who's representing this because I mean I assume that these um artists that are listed in the particular this particular example like they didn't go
1: no and 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 even if they did there's the 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 interpretation of the engraver after after that
0: um, right so so the person who did the drawings um Hilar? So he did not, he was not with Choiseul-Goufier, Choiseul Gouffier, Choiseul Gouffier, he's sort of like, is he like reading the text and like getting an, an impression?
1: It varies uh, according to the, the, the mm-hmm. particular work. But okay. in this case, Hilaire was, Hilaire, Hilaire did travel uh, with him in okay. this case. Uh, but, you know, one looks at Hilaire's images and sometimes uh, sometimes one detects an image one recognizes from something else, um, if you sure. see what I'm saying. So, yeah. so it's, it, you know, yes, he did travel and he did make sketches. We have almost nothing of his sketches, mm. uh, original sketches. And I don't know that they would be really telling because usually the sketches that do exist for these kinds of productions are designed sketches. So in other words, they're already made for the engraving in mind. Mm. So, so we don't get that kind of... On the spot, sort of thing. But the big issue for interpreting these things has to do with the kind of discourse of authenticity around travel uh, publications, and the idea that the author must have experienced and must have witnessed uh, what what is seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone works really hard to suppress the authority the authorial complexity of these images. The reviewers do, the, the, the text, whoever's writing the text does. And there's always this sort of pretense that there's this one governing author. Right. Uh, but once one looks closely at it, one realizes that's not the case. And certainly archival work mm-hmm. kicks that up pretty quickly. I mean, we have in the case of Fourbin who I uh, compare to uh, Choiseul Gouffier traveling in eighteen nineteen, he actually is writing letters to people saying, "Oh, would you go for me over there? you know, go please visit this country. I, I don't have time to do it." Yeah, um, and we'll work it out later. we'll you know we'll we'll figure out how to Kind of make it sound like me, essentially. He doesn't say that exactly. Um, so uh, there's a certain, I might even say, a certain kind of anxiety about uh, this kind of multiple authorship. Mm. And someone like Choiseul Gouffier, who is uh, this uh, you know, very privileged uh, person in French society, clearly feels that he has no problem suppressing all these other voices. Is very right. interesting by the sort of early 19th century people are already beginning to complain about that a little bit, that he thinks that anything that anyone does for him, any work that is done that he pays for is essentially his work. On,
0: right. On his Would you say that in in France at this time period um, that there was sort of an idea that there was a difference between an artist and a designer, as you put it?
1: Um, yes. I mean, there's certainly... A, great hierarchy um, and in some cases uh, someone like Cassas who uses this uh, medium or genre as a way of kind of gaining some kind of stature as an mm-hmm. artist um, he doesn't have many other possibilities open to him mm-hmm. um, he's not he has not been trained as a, an oil painter doing history painting he has not he has been to the Roman the French Academy in Rome. Uh, but kind of as an honorary uh, person, as a kind of guest. Uh, He certainly could never compete for the Rome Prize, right? Mm -hmm. So he's definitely Mm -hmm. not in the most sort of elite uh, place among painters or artists in France. But nonetheless, uh, it's a way for him to gain a certain attention and stature. Mm -hmm. And it does uh, give him uh, you know various uh, uh, awards and prizes um, mm-hmm. recognition by the state and, and mm-hmm. things like this mm-hmm. not quite what he hoped um, in the end mm-hmm. uh, because Choiseul Gouffier comes back from exile and, and uh, has the whole project stopped <laughs> <laughs> Rude <laughs> Yes it's, it's quite awful That's it. Right.
0: terms of the chronological framing of the project you bracket your study with the years 1774 to 1839 and you're using the the dates of the rise of the rise of abdul hamid the and the the death of mahmoud the ottoman so these are ottoman political events i think if someone just casually looking at the book title might uh, assume that you're thinking about Hobsbawm's Age of Revolutions uh, framework 1789, generally 1789 to 1849, which of course are based around French political events. Um, so by choosing that bracketing, are you consciously referring to Hobsbawm? Are you're countering this particular perspective? As you said, a lot of the material is produced in France. Uh, a lot of the artists... Uh, uh, originate from France so in what way are you sort of writing a counter narrative to Hobsbawm in referring to that that predominant uh, f- framework
1: yeah I don't think Hobsbawm was not specifically on my mind mm-hmm. but it was a very pointed choice um, so very much along the lines of kind of what you were suggesting I was bound and determined not to write a book that was reiterated uh, that kind of European or Euro-centered perspective. Um, even now with a lot of writing on sort of transnational thinking and you know global history, uh, histoire croisée as the French say, uh, one finds a lot of it is very firmly centered uh, within a kind of European perspective. And I was really very, it was very important to me to think about travel as a a kind of transformative experience, as an experience where uh, people come into contact with each other and things are taken from both sides and things are shifted uh, as people come into contact. Uh, And uh, I have seen people say that they're doing that and yet they continue to frame things in terms of, say, French dates or European dates. Mm -hmm. And I was really strongly trying to kind of sort of Get myself out of that and defy that, um, and of course, it, and it's not completely arbitrary. Of course, the the rise of Abdul Hamid is what uh, brings uh, Choisel Gouffier, sort of my the. the the kind of centerpiece at the beginning of the book, into contact with the next sultan, who will become the next sultan, Selim III, uh, because uh, he is kind of stuck in the palace, right? Because he's the heir. And uh, Choiseul becomes a good friend of his uh, uh, at that time. Um, So it's connected uh, closely to the the kind of origins of the project itself, um, even though it's, again, a kind of an Ottoman, uh, an Ottoman French date, we might say in that mm-hmm. sense in eighteen thirty nine of course uh yes the 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 death of uh, Mahmoud II uh and you know the origins of tanzimat mm-hmm. and, and all mm-hmm. of that, but of course, also a kind of shift uh you know from a European perspective because of the balta lemani uh, Treaty and uh, the kind of uh, the English dominance uh, of trade that kind of takes place at that moment. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a kind of uh, European and Ottoman kind of cluster of dates. uh, The the final one, Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah.
0: So um, in rewriting these trans-imperial cross-cultural exchanges between Europe and the Ottoman Empire. I, I I really feel like you're complicating, you know, just even these labels of French and mm-hmm. Ottoman um, actors and in artwork and visual culture. Um, I feel like you're really problematizing those those kinds of firm labels. In that vein, why is it? Uh, why is it useful to look at the case studies of um, of Melling and specifically Melling and Dosan? I feel like a uh, uh, as, you've, as you've indicated have uh, uh, in previous scholarship been really kind of labeled as French yeah. or European artists but you you really kind of um, make a case that um, that's it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that
1: yeah yes absolutely well in the case of Melling uh, he has been just out and out dismissed I mean sort of the old orientalist literature just sort of would take a single image and famously it's the image of the harem uh, and sort of say, ah, oh, well this is obviously a kind of orientalist kind of perspective. But without really looking at the whole book or anything about Melling's uh, trajectory, um, Melling uh, comes from uh, a family in Lorraine, uh, which is not French, not German, lives in Germany as a, as a child, uh, and uh, actually born in Germany of a, of a family from Lorraine, um, and goes to the Ottoman Empire when he's quite young and and sort of in that diplomatic milieu, works for uh, Selim, the third sister, works for Selim himself. And he's in Istanbul for nearly 20 years. Um, And so I'm arguing that his book is uh, produced when he leaves the Ottoman Empire, comes to France, again, even though he's not French, uh, and produces his book, that he produces it from the perspective of an Istanbul artist, and I actually, of course, argue that he's could be seen as an Ottoman court artist because mm-hmm. he's working so so closely uh, with the very uh, you know the very top of the, the empire. With so, what what kind of images are he is he producing? Um, his images uh, are mostly of, of waterways, particularly the Bosphorus. Uh, which is a departure from the kinds of uh, images one sees in travel literature previously, which tend to focus on historical monuments, Uh, sometimes pre-Ottoman, often a lot of Ottoman monuments uh, too, but he really jettisons that. He hardly focuses on anything like that at all. And mostly focuses, again, on the Bosphorus and on the palaces that mm-hmm. are built along the Bosphorus. Um, and and I think that this is, shows very clearly that he understands the political meaning of the Bosphorus for. The Sultan, who is trying to create a kind of new uh, culture of sultanic visibility along the Bosphorus to kind of compete with uh, the nobles mm-hmm. uh, who uh, are building quite lavishly themselves along the Bosphorus, uh, so that is, I think, really significant. He shows in a lot of other ways uh, that he knows a lot about Ottoman art. Um, uh, like for example. For example, his images uh, very clearly. Look a lot like the mural paintings that are beginning to be painted at this time, mm-hmm. in the symbol in the time that he was living there in the late 18th century, mm-hmm. and specifically begin to appear in the Imperial Palace. Um, and these mural paintings are usually of the Bosphorus and Bosphorus mm-hmm. scenes of palaces mm-hmm. and gardens. Uh, and not
0: just in palaces, like m- most. Elite homes really had these images. Yeah. Like across the Eastern Mediterranean. Yes. Yeah.
1: And not even just in Istanbul, but often yeah. of Bas- the Bosphorus and yes. Istanbul, even yeah. though they're not, uh, the, the homes might not themselves. Yeah. Be there. I think
0: our listeners probably would be aware of examples from Birgi and in Tur- in Turkey and um, I've seen examples in Cyprus and in Nicosia, um, Greece, I've, hmm. Bulgaria, all, it's, all, it's, it's pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
1: Damascus. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he takes up a subject matter that we recognize that is contemporaneous to his time in symbol, but it's also the way he paints uh, these scenes. Uh, there's a kind of, uh, lack of hierarchy, lack of focus, uh, a kind of treating of the image as a series of horizontal zones, a kind of contour heavy uh, depiction, uh, heavily detailed. Um, so it, there's lots of other things that indicate uh, that He's kind of absorbed uh, a visu- an Ottoman visual culture, mm-hmm. is what I argue, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's really important. Now, Dosen is a fascinating case uh, because, of course, he is Ottoman-born. Uh, he's Armenian. Mm-hmm. He comes from a family of dragomans, so interpreters, um, and he is then eventually employed by Sweden. He uh, does Sweden proud, and so he eventually decides, uh, for reasons we don't entirely understand, to produce a book about the Ottoman Empire, but in Paris, again, which seems to be a kind of center of book production. So it would attract an Ottoman-Armenian, you know, apparently, uh, to produce this book. Um, And what's really fascinating is that he has been discussed quite a bit, because Ottomanists have always used uh, his book for kinds of informational purposes or documentation.
0: And what's the title of the book?
1: Uh, It's the Tableau Général Mm -hmm. de l'Empire Ottoman. Mm -hmm. Sort of a the panorama we might say mm-hmm. of the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, so he's 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 quite well-known in the literature, um, less well-known in the Orientalist literature, although he makes a little bit of an appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ottomanists have long used him. But no one has really kind of analyzed the book itself, or not mm. too much, and kind of trying to understand the stakes in it and, and how yeah. it's produced. And the tendency has been to say that he is adopting a kind of French or European kind of Enlightenment perspective in the way that he talks about the Ottomans. So he's talking about the Ottomans in France to... a Obviously a European audience,
0: mm-hmm. right? Um, so is it kind of like a corrective text?
1: Yeah. Oh, he's he's uh, very clearly uh, uh, kind of, yes, uh, kind of correcting what has been written mm-hmm. um, in a lot of travel literature, particularly, mm-hmm. and very, very clearly sort of taking up uh, Choiseul Gouffier's example, Using a lot of the same artists, the same engravers, mm, really, uh, same formats, same structures, same size, so that one cannot help but read his book w- in conjunction with Charles mm. Gave. So that's quite, and it's quite striking. So there are very specific things that he will uh, do or show. Uh, that counter uh, some of the kind of Orientalist imagery one does see in Choiseul Gouffier of sort of, you know, you know Ottoman sitting around and you know at leisure, you know, in great relaxation, right? Um, so he's constantly stressing the work of 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 of, of a Muslim culture actually, um, and the importance of work and a work ethic is something that he stresses quite a bit. But what was really important to me is the fact that he makes a big deal out of using Ottoman images, of which we have. Almost nothing. We have a few uh, uh, manuscript uh, illustrations, uh, paintings, that we know he you know he must have used copies from, so we can make direct comparisons. Um, and so there is this whole process of translation. We actually have uh, Cochin, who oversaw the engraving series, talking about what it meant to look at these Ottoman images and transform um. them into French prints. Mm. Um, and uh, so. My perspective on Doson is that he is not simply adopting some kind of European perspective, but instead defending Ottoman culture at a time when it very much needed uh, to be defended, right? So mm-hmm. kind of right after 1774, um, the, the, the Russo-Ottoman War, uh you know uh and appealing to certainly appealing to a kind of European culture, yes, in, in that defense, but also presenting Ottoman art and Ottoman culture, um, you know, the history of book production, for instance, in mm. manuscript, uh, manuscript production, yeah, manuscript painting, but also books uh because of Muta Farika, which he talks about quite a bit. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so he's so he, he's sort of presenting this not in order to adopt the French mode, which of course people have assumed because it looks like choise le book. So he's mm-hmm. He's becoming French or trying to be mm-hmm. French, but I think it, the actual uh, essence of what he's doing is the opposite. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, what's uh, really interesting uh, is that we have so many different forms of translation in this uh, book process. Um, and so, depending on who was doing the engraving, um, sometimes things uh, end up looking uh, very French. Um, So, in the case of the image of Adam and Eve, taken from the um, 16th century manuscript, um, uh, there's very little of the uh, Islamic version of the story of Adam and Eve uh, that ends up in the final engraving. Um, So, it's kind of, it becomes almost a kind of, you know, French version of a Christian version, we might say, of Adam and Eve. Um, And in other cases, we know uh, Cochin talked a lot about the fact that he really wanted to retain an Ottoman quality, and this is what I found particularly Mm -hmm. fascinating uh, in the work. Um, He said that there was something... It's a little condescending, but he said it was there was a naive authenticity to the Ottoman work, and he didn't want to completely get rid of it, and he didn't want to completely Frenchify the images. He says, um, so he uh, had them redrawn so that they were slightly changed, but he kept uh, the feeling of some Ottoman original in them, um, and he called uh, we can call this uh, something I think that translation theorists talk about. Uh, which is markedness or a resistant translation and that is a kind of translation that attempts to retain the feel of the original and doesn't attempt Mm -hmm. to kind of smooth it over into the translation language. Um, So what I think becomes particularly interesting is that you can see all these varieties of approaches. Mm-hmm. So you become quite aware as you're looking through it. And when I first encountered this book, I was fascinated because I could tell these were not French images. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about it, how it was made, why, uh, and the fact that there's so many so many varieties of images. Some of them look just absolutely uh, 100% French. Uh, the Adam and Eve I think is fairly French, but if we look at uh, the uh, Picture of the Mehdi, of Medi. This uh, engraving looks so wholly French in its pictorial language uh, that one cannot feel anything of a kind of Ottoman original which Dosin claims was used for every single painting. So the, the feel of translatedness and the fact of varieties of translation, I think, means that as a viewer or reader, one becomes very strongly aware of this cultural encounter that happened for the artists making the book. Mm-hmm. And that you experience it yourself as a kind of cultural encounter because you're watching these degrees of sort of ottomanness and Frenchness kind of being played out for
0: you visually in the book so in this in this book um the tableau general do they say explicitly in the book that we have looked at examples of ottoman art and we are representing that here for you in these prints or is it more implicit
1: well dosin himself says it
0: oh okay he's he, so it's, uh, and it's it's really, explicit in the book yes
1: okay. it's really important to him he over and over again. And part of it is because he's playing the role of mediator. Mm -hmm. He's a dragoman, that's what he does. He mediates, right? He translates. And he's really giving himself this role. And he has to lay out, why do I have credentials to do this? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm using real Ottoman artists and real Ottoman images. So Mm -hmm. these are authentic, these are true, these are real. Um, Mm -hmm. So constantly kind of foregrounding that. So Mm -hmm. that's something you know, visually you see it, you know, because there are these uh, varieties of approaches and images. There's something, again, very clear in some images. This is not, you know, a kind of French image of late, the late 18th century. Um, and then we know uh, from Cochin, we know that from his letters. That's, that's something you have to, that's behind the scenes. You're right, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily experience that. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's quite evident to someone even without that kind of background information.
0: Mm-hmm. In this project, where you explore travel images, uh, you posit that these images are a direct result of encounter and contact uh, between artists um, moving around in Ottoman in Ottoman spaces. Um, how how can we characterize the nature of this process of encounter and contact and um, in what way and how does this depart from perhaps previous inter- interpretations of this kind of images? And I'm, spe- I'm thinking specifically of Orientalism. Um, it's very much taken up uh, in that framework.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think the main notion that people had dealt with when people talked about Delacroix traveling, for instance, to North Africa, mostly Morocco, mm-hmm. um, a tiny bit in Algeria, uh, it's that he was doing what Saeed called textual thinking, which he you know, means that he came, imbued with all of this knowledge that he had, um, perhaps knowledge in quotation marks, from reading texts, European texts, about, say, the Orient, and that he came with these preconceptions and mm-hmm. he maintained the preconceptions throughout his travels and he went back to France with the same preconceptions and nothing shifts and nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, actually the whole project for me started because I saw his travel notebooks, his sketches mm-hmm. um, in that's an where exhibition. That's project started. That's when it started. Yeah. I was working on my first book on Delacroix that had nothing to do with this particular topic. And I went to an exhibition, and I saw those notebooks, those sketches, and I was really surprised by them. And that's Why? where it began. They just looked like, so different from the kinds of things I knew Delacroix to do. Mm-hmm. They, they looked very different. Um, he's done lots of, he did lots of travel, so there are lots of travel sketches books. I mean, France, uh, uh, England, for instance, various places in France, uh, you know, in the north as well, uh, northern Europe. Uh, So one can compare them, and they are very different. Um, uh, There's a kind of hesitation, a tightness, an exactness that just doesn't look like Delacroix. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Maybe there's something that is specific, you know, to where he is, what he's doing, um, the engagement that he's having. And maybe we should take that seriously rather Mm -hmm. than sort of dismiss it. Uh, Because, of of course, as we know, he goes back to France and makes images that we can read very easily using the old kind of Orientalist language. Um, So I began to try to think about travel as a kind of process uh, and a moment that has its own contingencies and uh, you know, s- place specificity and the kind of encounters that one ha- has, the, the things that one can and cannot do in a place who determines those things and how that can affect, obviously, uh, an artistic process. Um, so we know, for instance, that Delacroix did not have much freedom in, in Morocco. He was not traveling to a place that had, that had where the French had colonial control of any kind. He was traveling to of uh, 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 the Moroccan Empire, which was a sovereign empire, right, run by a Moroccan sultan, headed mm-hmm. by a sultan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they determined, uh, the hierarchy determined where he could be, when he could be there, how the French moved. He was with a, a diplomatic group, of course. Uh, they traveled under armed escort. Uh, they were... F- made to, uh, as they moved through the country, uh, stay in camps well away from any towns or cities so that they would not have contact with certain people. Uh, So, uh, you know, he wasn't a powerful person there um, and didn't have a lot of choices about what he could see and what he could paint, and obviously that's going to affect something. So that was kind of the inception of the project. you know, certainly to question kind of this constant reiteration that, you know, sort of the European traveler or the European man or the white European man is is always powerful everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And sort of constantly imposing power on others. Uh, but there are times when that's when there's an awful lot of uncertainty. And that was cert- that is definitely
0: a case uh, in this instance. Um, and how do you see that in in the sketches themselves?
1: Well, there's things that he doesn't do. Uh, he does depict some women. He uh, had access to Jewish women in particular, um, famously, uh, through his Jewish interpreter. Um, but he depicts them very differently. Um, this is uh, you know, an artist who uh, depicted uh, female models in a very sexualized way. Um, but these images feel very distant, very remote, uh, very chaste. Um, there isn't that sort of sense of the, the sort of male gaze that one feels so strongly and, and so many of his other images of all kinds, right? Uh, you know, finished oil paintings as well as sketches as well as drawings, quick drawings done, you know, in the studio, that kind of thing. Um, so there's things that he doesn't do. Uh, there's the kind of careful tightness of some of his drawings where he really looks like he's kind of trying to gather artifacts in a way. Uh, and this is not an artist who... Uh, works on the kind of discourse of authenticity but he seems like he is there it's it's almost sort of like he wants to get it right Um, so there's a kind of something that's not again confident you know like Mm. I can sort of see as I wish to see or impose as I Mm -hmm. wish to impose Uh, then there's a whole series of images of thresholds and doorways and uh, they suggest a kind of outsiderness. They, they really articulate that kind of inside and outside. This would be inside, I'm not inside, I'm outside. So there's a kind of awareness of his outsiderness mm-hmm. that I think is very specific and uh, really quite compelling. They're really, really interesting images. Um, the section where we see that uh, I think he has really made uh, the travel sketchbook into a kind of genre of painting. He's not just taking sketches, but he's actually making a series of images mm-hmm. that kind of make sense of that genre. The sketchbook is a kind of series of pages uh, that tell a story kind of in their own way. So it's, it's quite visually compelling.
0: So in the example you were just, in these, in these examples you're talking about with, with Delacroix, I mean, these are, these are sketches that he made while on the road. In the other case studies, you know, uh, that you also explore in the book that we've been talking about, these uh, these illustrated, uh, ma- uh, illustrated books that are, you know, the final product of a long process of designing, mediating, translating. Um, but even in these final products, um, do you and where do you see um, these contradictions, these contingencies, this uncertainty of of the encounters
1: yeah no it's a really great question um i think uh, the the example of dupre is really fascinating um because he was traveling at a point right before the greek war of independence he's traveling largely in greece but also substantially in istanbul
0: so this is louis dupre he's a he's an artist Mm -hmm. he's an artist so Mm -hmm. he's
1: definitely an artist who's saying I can make a travel book. He accompanies mm-hmm. uh, several Englishmen, uh you know, affluent Englishmen who say, you know, come along and make some images for us and and then when he comes back to France, he's a Frenchman. Uh, he makes uh images of what he did. But so he's traveling right before the Greek War of Independence when no one would have known that there that Greek independence was uh, from the Ottoman Empire was was imminent. Um, and uh, his images tell us sort of one story, his text tells us another story. So by the time he gets back to France, the, the War of Independence is well underway. It's a, 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 a cause célèbre in France, you know, it's, it's of great concern to artists and writers. Uh, among others. Uh, and uh, he's really attached the whole
0: project to Phil Hellenism mm-hmm. and to kind of the support of the Greeks. This is sort of an after, this is after his trip, though. So he, he does his trip in 1819 and then the Greek War of Independence happens, 1821, 1822. And then it's his his book the he final be- part is published when? Well, he begins in
1: 1825. 1825. He mm-hmm. begins in 1825, he finishes in 1839, by then he is actually dead, <laughs> poor man. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so so he is definitely, the, the text says one thing, the text is very Phil Hellenic, uh-huh. very anti-Ottoman, anti-Turk as he would yeah. say you know, the poor Greeks, you know, but the images say something completely different Mm -hmm. um, because the images introduce the full complexity of, you know, Ottoman society, the full complexity Mm -hmm. of uh, this multi-ethnic society, um, and tell us about a large number of people with whom he had contact, often notables of various uh, kinds, uh, Greek notables, Armenian notables, Mm -hmm. uh, Ali Pasha of Janina, of course, um, whom Europeans love to depict um, often in very negative ways. His are perhaps not quite so negative. Yeah, uh, so I he shows us kind weird. of the whole kind of uh, range of, of, of various kinds of people in power. And of course, they're not all what he could call Turk. Right, and often they're very positive. He meets the governor of Athens and depicts him in a really uh, sympathetic way, calls him his friend actually in the text, in the text mm-hmm. there, uh, and uh, so we have this kind of real feeling of access uh, uh, to this uh, society, um, and you know his his images uh, introduce the feeling of being close to people. Um, we might look at actually the. Greek, in this case, the uh, logotetes. He's depicted in a way that really uh, shows us from various visual uh, uh, devices he uses, we really feel the sense of closeness to this person. So his images are very, very striking that way. Um, Even as he's clearly wanting to show us the costume of this figure, um, it's not a costume image because it's an individual. It's a portrait. It's a portrait as well as a costume image. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of a merging of two kinds of images. And we have the powerful glance of this Greek figure. Uh, We have things like the shadowing around the objects, uh, even the puff of the smoke, he says a water pipe, things that really suggest a kind of temporality, mm-hmm. which really make one feel, I am in the presence of this man at a very particular time, mm-hmm. right? So uh, this feeling that he is—he was sitting in the room with this person yeah. as he depicted them.
0: But I mean, if it's, you know, but this isn't necessarily a contradiction, right? Because this is a Greek, so like, but also but as you said, his depictions also of you know, the people he would have termed as, as, as Turkish the, or the, Ottoman right. Right. Uh, are also are equally sympathetic. Yeah.
1: You know. Well, I think what's important about the Greek too is that he is a notable. He is, mm-hmm. uh, he's certainly what. Uh, you know, if we use the Philhellenic language, would have been termed an Orientalized Greek, mm. with his turban, with his caftan, affair. with his water yeah. pipe. Yeah, he's smoking But he's also bike. powerful. Yeah. and of course the Philhellenic discourse is that the Greeks are oppressed and the Turks are the oppressors. Mm. Um, so totally. it, in that sense, it also uh, defies that 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 notion. Um, but yeah, I would think the the governor of Athens is a case. Um, we we just get an awful lot of complexity. We meet the fanariots. We meet uh, you know the the voivoda of of Moldavia, real, another very sympathetic image, which shows a, an Ottoman appointed powerful Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we we meet uh, the saraf right, the D- Duzolu, the Duzian family. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Armenians, who were also uh, central to Ottoman power, right in Istanbul, so sort of messing up the kind of clean lines of Philhellenism, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I have to say that I, I have uh, just because of the nature of my research, I've actually seen a few uh, sketches uh, that Dupré did during his his journey, and um, I have to say, you know, it, it's it's the 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 prints, as far as I can tell, are pretty faithful reproductions of the sketches that he did. Um, so there's not a lot of sort of editing (laughs) of the images, uh, after the fact. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean,
1: some it's, it's always hard to know. They, they could already be arranged sort of images, but, uh, yeah, yes. But that's,
0: yeah, yeah, that's fair. But, um, yeah, but just sort of the variety of individuals. That's exactly. I see what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah, from I mean, the presence from Albanian the Ali Pasha I think. to his his uh, grandchildren to Veli Pasha's page, and you know a lot of these. Um, and I mean, what you're where you're pointing to, of course, is that um, the sensitivity that uh, identity, and especially in in Greece at this time, uh, was quite fluid in terms of you know Turk versus. Uh, mm-hmm. Turk versus Greek versus Muslim versus Christian versus mm-hmm. Albanian. Albanian, <laughs> Greek, Turk, right. Who are yeah. you working for? Who, who defines what you and do? And also Venetian, Italian, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of moving around. These people also moved around quite a bit. Um,
1: yeah, so it, I think, you know, the, the, the image-text contradiction yeah. is what really allows us to see... Uh, what contact produced, which was much more multiple and ambiguous and complicated, and what a kind of you know, after the fact discourse imposed on that contact did
0: to reinterpret it. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for a fascinating look at uh, different kinds of a visual culture of travel and encounter in the Ottoman Empire. It's, it's been really fascinating.
1: Thanks so much. Your
0: questions were really great. So thank you for for coming on the podcast. That's it for another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. You can find some of the images that we discussed today and much more on our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take care.